0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading from the Word of our God can be found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. It can be found on page 980 in your Black Pew Bible. Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and and that from God. Heavenly Father, I ask that uh, what would be true about us This morning is what we sang just a few minutes ago, that we would hide in you. And I ask that you would do a work this morning to free my brothers and sisters in this room so that they don't have to hide from anything else. They don't have to hide from anything if their refuge is in you. Would you increase our faith this morning? Spirit of God, would you manifest your presence in this room in focused conviction and repentance, confession, and freedom? Freedom. I ask that our burdens would fall off this morning. I ask that you would mature us this morning. Spirit of God, would you grow us up? Would you make us confident in your goodness? Your strength, your power, your promises? Let your word do surgery on us. focus our minds and hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, um, we are, we're rounding off, we're finishing up a series that's based on, around our mission statement. So the last four weeks have gone like this. Cultivation, communion, transformation, and then today is vocation. Those are four buckets of our mission statement as a church, and this week my burden is for us to get a hold or get our arms around or apprehend a Bible-saturated understanding that our vocation as Christians is to live in the most foundational, fundamental way for the glory of God. In the history of the Protestant church, different traditions articulate and express this kind of thing in different ways. For instance, our brothers and sisters in Christ who subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith, they, they say um, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, forever. And that's concise and accurate. And I love the way that confession expresses that. And then the confession that our tradition holds, our tradition subscribes to, is the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which says with regard to creation, In the beginning it pleased God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, goodness, to create or make the world and all things Therein. Creation is for the manifestation of the glory of God. With regard to God's providence, this same confession says: God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, doth uphold direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise, holy providence to, to the end for which they were created according unto his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy." God's praise, God's adoration, God's radiance, his public holiness, that is his glory, is the reason that we exist at all. We live and move and have our being in him. His grace, his mercy, his wisdom, his kindness, his manifold excellencies and his generosity and his goodness. And the call on every believer is to embrace that purpose and live to see it unfold throughout every moment of their lives. There's a broad and overarching purpose to our lives. Your life and my life exists for the glory of God. Our grace-empowered work exists for the glory of God. Our fellowship and friendship and relationships exist for the glory of God. The transformation that the Spirit of God is engineering in your life exists for God's glory. That's the call. That's the call to you as a believer to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ towards the glory of God. The word vocation comes from the Latin and it means to call. Synonyms for vocation include calling, your life's work, your function, your purpose, your mission, your mission. And that's the reason that we're using it. It's a rich and historical word that goes way beyond merely your job or maybe what you do for money. When the God that made and governs the whole universe calls your name, the question is how will you answer? Will you say, here I am, here I am? Or will you stop up your ears? Will you stay silent and bat away your holy vocation to live for God's glory? This is the kind of summons that the word vocation conveys. And I want us to answer and live in every aspect of our lives with an understanding that we are called to something. We've been given a mission. We've been drafted into God's mission. We've been given a purpose. And specifically for our purposes today, the manner of life, that phrase, the manner of life described in our text highlights things like standing firm in the face of opposition and operating with unity, with brothers and sisters in Christ, unity of mind and striving side by side, acting based on our courage Instead of acting based on fear, this is how you live worthy of the gospel. This is how you live like the gospel's actually true. And I mean true in every single part of your life, not just here on Sunday mornings or just in the car ride home when you discuss what you didn't like about the sermon, This is living like the gospel's true in the middle of the night when you wake up panicking. Living like the gospel's true when your medical tests come back and the prognosis is really bad news. Or when your kids get hurt. Or maybe worse, when your kids hurt somebody else. I mean when you're fired from your job. Or you find out that you have a terminal illness. Or you're just utterly undone and devastated by the circumstances of life. That's why vocation is the word. Your calling is rich and textured. To be clear from the start on where we stand as a church, we know from God's word that our lives don't belong to us. They don't belong to us. God created them. And if you're a believer, they were bought with a price. Your purpose is not to be the subject of your own whims and fancies. The mission you have in life isn't thin and feeble. You've been summoned by the God of the universe. Now live worthy of that kind of vocation. Do everything as unto the Lord and for the glory of God. By way of summary, I'm going I'm to string together the last three weeks and gather these four dynamics of our mission statement into one central focus your vocation, your purpose, your calling to do everything that you do for the glory of God. So I'm going to do that in three, uh, three main movements. <clears throat> I'm going to brush upon cultivation and say you're called to work hard for the glory of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on communion. You're called to build certain kinds of relationships. You're called to be in unified reality with other believers. You're called to build God-honoring relationships for the glory of God. And in transformation, you're called to be changed. You're called to be sanctified for a reason, for the glory of God. First, you're called to work hard for the glory of God. John Chryso- Chrysostom once said... Nothing is so incongruous in a Christian and foreign to his character as to seek ease and rest. One commentary says that the verbs present in our text today, the verbs present in our text today are, quote, verbs of tenacity. Living a life that's worthy of the gospel will require tenacity, And it will require courage. So work hard to be tenacious for the glory of God. Tenacious means tending to keep a firm hold on something. Clinging or adhering closely to something. And not readily relinquishing a position, a principle, or a course of action. It means determined. It means determined. The manner of life that you've been called to is a determined manner of life. It's principled. It's a clinging kind of life, but it's not clinging to your stuff. It's not clinging to success. It's not even clinging to a reputation or even to your family, but it's clinging to Christ. Standing firm means enduring, it means not wavering. It means putting a stake in the ground. Taking a stand means you don't get knocked over easily. It means that you resist lies. It means you hold out against whatever you're facing. You can't stand firm and be swept away at the same time. You can't, you can't be fickle or flimsy and tossed to and fro by every wave that comes, comes against you and stand still and firm at the same time. That requires that you know what you're standing on and, and who you're standing on. This is a defensive and tenacious stance. It is digging in your heels for the gospel, trusting that God will provide for you everything you need to do what he's asked you to do. It takes endurance and it's based on the faithfulness of God not our faithfulness Paul worked harder than anybody but it wasn't him it was the grace of God that was working through him Hebrews 10:23 says let us hold fast let us let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful is faithful. The strength to hold fast is a grace-empowered tenacity to stand in the day of adversity. It's a tenacity to strive for the faith. Living like a citizen of heaven takes striving. It takes striving. Striving to endure, striving to believe, striving to love other people, and striving to face our fears. The Philippian Christians had opponents and baked into the instructions in this text, it's assumed it's gonna be scary. There's gonna be real opposition. And if you don't have people that oppose you, we have opponents in the spiritual realm constantly. The world, the flesh, and the devil don't take vacation. And this text reminds us, stand firm, don't act like you're frightened, don't be afraid, take heart, have courage, strive, don't be afraid of anything that your opponents do, and don't be afraid of anything that they say. And sometimes that's even harder. Work hard to be courageous for the glory of God. I want this for you, I want us to be a courageous People and the way that you become courageous is remembering who you hide in, who you have refuge in, who your fortress is. Because the funny thing about that is that if you don't hide, if you don't hide in God, then you're hiding from something else always. What people think of you, what they say about you, your own failure, your own sin the truth about yourself that nobody knows. If you, don't, if you don't hide in God, you'll be hiding from something. But if you hide in him, then you don't have to hide from anything. You can face whatever's in front of you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Hebrews 13, five and six says, keep your life away from the love of money and be content with what you have. Well, how can I do that? Do it because God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord's my help. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the answer to that is lots of stuff. He can do a lot of things to you. But God will never leave you or forsake you, so he can't ultimately do anything to you. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar, and foam. First Peter 3, 5 and 6 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you can know that you're her children if you do good and you don't fear anything that's frightening. If you're not scared of scary stuff. Hebrews 10.39 reminds us right now that we are not of those. You are not of those that shrink back and are destroyed, but you're of those who have faith and preserve your souls. Don't lose heart. Don't shrink back. Don't lack courage because what God promises, he is faithful to perform. Work hard to stand firm. Work hard to be courageous and strive for faith. Number two, related to communion, you're called to build relationships for the glory of God. You're called to live in a way and have a manner of life about you that demonstrates, that shows the worth of the gospel to the watching world by living in unity in this place. Living and striving, not alone, not out on your own, not away from other people, living and striving side by side. The kind of relationships that point to the glory of God are relationships that can overcome conflict and difficulties and tensions and still be unified in the gospel and for the gospel. And this is crucial for us to understand. Our striving isn't alone. It's not meant to be alone. There's such a tendency in the church today to come together as a group on Sunday or to show up for some event and yet still remain completely sort of defensive and fortified and closed off from others even when we're around them a lot. But the body needs all the parts, and we need one another. The living and striving in our text today is side-by-side kind of striving. And Paul says, with one mind, standing firm, contending together. Friends, this life, the normal, the normal Christian life, is a team sport one spirit, one soul, contending together, striving side by side. Listen, listen to this scholar. The struggle, the struggle of the Christian citizen must be faced within the fellowship of the believing community. But what does that look like? How do we live in the believing community in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, Paul expounds just a few verses later in Philippians, and he says in chapter two, verses one through five, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count other people more important than you. Let each of you look not not to your own interests only, but look to the interests of other people. Have this mind amongst you that 's yours in Christ Jesus. Look out for the interests of, of others because that 's the mindset that Jesus had, and it 's yours also in Christ, both striving in unity and striving for unity are emphasized throughout this book. Unity of mind, be in full accord, unity in the gospel, and unity for the sake of the gospel is the exhortation that's, that's, that makes it worth laying down like petty differences and petty bitterness that we tend to carry and hold in between us and every single person that we encounter. And not only does Paul exhort them to be unified, he also names things that hurt this kind of unity, that inhibit unity. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition because that will kill unity. Do nothing out of conceit. That will kill our like-mindedness. Do nothing that's the fruit of that's done as the product of counting yourself more important than other people or more highly than you ought to. But instead, think about yourself and humble yourself the way that Christ humbled himself. And the humility here, we should be reminded over and over and over again, is mind-boggling, right? In today's culture, it's hard to even fathom this kind of humility. In today's culture, we seem to have, we, we seem to have this completely upside down. Nowadays, most people I meet are pretty, pretty sure that 90% of their problems exist because we think too lowly of ourselves. But the, but the Bible doesn't really talk that way. The Bible seems to assume that we think too highly of ourselves. I mean, if you look up synonyms for conceit, this is what you will find. Vanity. Self-love. Self-admiration. Self-regard. Self, 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 self. self. We, We worship nowadays at the altar of the self. In today's culture, I don't think that there's any conception at all about putting any kind of limits on how highly you think of yourself. I think that if you if you if you talk that way, people will look at you like you have a third eyeball. It's completely alien to the world that we live in, and yet and yet we remain unstirred by that reality. We remain unmoved. We remain unaffected. We stand firm, but we stand firm in our opinions that we just need to focus on ourselves a little bit more. And we think that relationships in our lives don't work for us because we think too lowly of ourselves. But the mind that we're encouraged to have is a mind that obeys God. A mind that obeys to the point of death, even death on a cross like Jesus. Jesus emptied himself and became a servant. That's the mind that we're encouraged to have. And Jesus' humility here is wedded to his obedience to the Father. That's what, it, that's, what, that's what humility looks like. So it can't be humble or servant-hearted if it is in disobedience to the Father. At least not how it's described right here. If you want to serve and love others, I would encourage you, like, listen to the words and life of Jesus and obey the Bible. Do what it says. Love other, people has the, love other people the way the Bible defines love and the way the Bible describes love. Fight and strive for a heart that's clean, that wants to obey God, which means obeying his words. That's how gospel adorning and gospel glorifying relationships can be forged, can be forged. And that is so foreign to our culture today. Could you imagine an ad that's meant to hook you? It's meant to entice you, but it has a picture of a servant instead of a person with their feet up at the spa. Think of of a construction worker and then an ad that says, treat yourself. You deserve it. You're worth it. And it's a picture of a busboy or a dishwasher or some guys in orange vests shoveling gravel. That's that's not probably going to entice us. And how much of our relational strife would exist if we didn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to? How much unity do we sacrifice because we're conceited or we're selfish or self-absorbed? But when, when our relationships demonstrate that Jesus is Lord, when our relationships and the reconciliation that happens and the love that happens between people who look like they shouldn't get along, when they don't make any sense outside of the gospel, they glorify God. That picture glorifies God. And your vocation as a Christian You are called to something. You're called as a Christian to build honest, sincere, servant-hearted relationships around unity in the gospel. You're called to build honest, sincere, servant-hearted relationships around unity in the gospel for the glory of God. That's your summons. Number three, you're called to be sanctified to be changed for the glory of God. A manner of life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ is a calling to be transformed. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Ephesians 4, 1-4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Colossians 1.10 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him i bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. Fruit from the inside out. That means transformation. Think of Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 which says, In the same way, let your light shine before other people so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your good works, the fruit of your life, has a purpose. You're called to shine forth with evidence of what God has done for you through the gospel so that that it brings glory to God. Christians should make a special effort to understand that whatever they're doing, whatever you're doing in your life, fits into that framework. It fits into that paradigm. There's nothing super spiritual here. There's no, um, there's no hierarchy of like super spiritual jobs here. Being a pastor is no more a vocation than being a school teacher. Being a missionary is no more a vocation than being a dentist or a hairstylist or a truck driver. As long as it's being done in obedience to God and it's being done for the glory of God, you're fulfilling your calling to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Your purpose as a Christian isn't separate from your work. Being a, it's it's yeah, it's it's infused. Your purpose is infused into every single job that you could undertake. The essence of the Christian calling, the believer's vocation is a life that understands that everything we do matters for God's glory. Whatever God has given you, it doesn't matter if you work a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, it was given to you to be lived out in obedience, in humility so that it can glorify God. Second Peter exhorts us to grow in virtue and sanctification to be transformed when it says things like make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and supplement your virtue with knowledge and supplement your knowledge with self-control and with self-control steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, brotherly affection and love. And the reason you do this is so that you can be fruitful And effective. Let the fruit of God in your life shine so that people look at your life and glorify your Father in heaven. And be diligent, it says in 2 Peter, to do this to confirm that calling and election. Vocation means to call. It means Summons. It means purpose. And we have as the culminating ultimate purpose of our mission statement to aim all of our efforts in a single direction. We want our activities here to exist for the glory of God. We want our worship services here to exist for the glory of God. We want our cookouts to exist for the glory of God. We want our outreach to exist for the glory of God. We want our classes that we offer to exist for the glory of God. And our lives, we want everything that we do to be done for the glory of God. And explicitly, we do not mean all of our quote unquote Christian activities or our church activities to be done for the glory of God. We mean for the glory of God. We mean everything. And I mean everything, everything, everything. All of it. All of it. This means submitting all of our lives to the purpose of glorifying God. This means answering that call, the call of God and the claim that God has on your life in every single respect. It means your home, it means your car, it means your internet browser, it means your bedrooms, it means your phone, it means your imagination, it means your entire life life inside the walls of this building and life outside the walls of this building. So as I, as I move in this moment to kind of conclude, I want to challenge us and I've tried to arrange six challenges around those four dynamics. So they all come directly from one of the other, one of the four sermons that we have preached in this series. There's six questions as we end this series meant to challenge us and stir our hearts towards maturity, towards confession, towards repentance, towards growth in godliness. And I don't want to be graphic, but a lot of the women in our church also just finished Ezekiel, so they're not afraid of the scripture's detail. But I ask questions that are hard to hear sometimes in order to, to push all the pus out. To not heal the wound too lightly, like the prophets say. The first question is, what what about, this series, what about this series has impacted you? I'm starting at cultivation. And what I mean is, has the Holy Spirit convicted you of anything? Of anything? Have you been convicted of the sin of idleness or laziness? Where have you resisted the call of God in your life to work? To work. Work is a good thing. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Have you seen in your life that you have given into the false promises of laziness or idleness? Or have you... Have you labeled rest what should really just be called entitlement? Number two, have you seen that you complain or that you murmur about the work that God has given to you? Maybe even just in your heart. And if you're wondering what work has God given me, it's any responsibility that comes across your path. Has the Holy Spirit revealed that you tend toward grumbling or complaining or murmuring in your heart the work that God sets in front of you is good and it's a good gift from your heavenly father number 3 do you avoid this is related to communion do you avoid other christian brothers and sisters do you avoid relationships in the church Do you slip away and out the door so that nobody really gets to know you and you don't have to know anybody else? That way you don't have to deal with any of the messes here. Or have you neglected communion with God himself? Do you talk to him? Do you listen to him? Do you cultivate love for what he has to say to you? Affection for his word? Or have you forgotten your first love? the God who found you and loved you and made you a friend when you were an enemy. Number four, do you squirm? This is also communion. Do you kind of squirm when it comes to being known by other people so you avoid being open or honest? Do you hide from others because you're hiding sin or because you don't want to listen to correction and you just want to keep doing things the same way? Get off my Back. Do you resist admonishment by never being in a position to receive it? By keeping your distance? Or are there relationships in this church that are just straight up broken and they need to be reconciled? Man, would you ask God, would you ask God for courage to step towards those? Number five, are you stuck in a pattern of sin that nobody knows about? This challenge is really related to transformation. Are you leading a double life or pretending or just playing church? Yeah, I'll say it again, you, you don't have to do that here. You don't have to do that here. Do you, do you sneak drinks at home or sneak purchases online? nobody knows what you're doing? Is there some sin in your life that feels like it's got a grip on you and you'll never be free? Number six, do you, do you compartmentalize your faith? Do you keep it in a closed box? Do you find yourself too afraid to invite your neighbors over for dinner? Are you too afraid to live out your faith in the place that you work? Do you hide your calling and not let, let your light shine for the glory of God? Or do you know, even though nobody else does, do you know that really in your heart you use your work for your own glory to make a name for yourself instead of offering it to God as a sacrifice of worship for his glory? Let me say something. Let me say something about all those questions. I've said it a couple times in this series, but this is a church where you don't have to be perfect to be here. And I know, I get it. Nobody's perfect. I'm not delusional. All I mean is like, you don't have to pretend like you're perfect to be here. Nobody expects you to do that. I'm going to keep expecting all of you to not be perfect because I'm not perfect, right? We'll just keep that posture. I ask these questions to invite you into the freedom that comes from living in the light, living honestly, and living sincerely. A body that participates and shares in the lives of one another, that takes risks, takes courage, that risks saying the wrong thing because saying nothing might be worse. We exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples of Jesus Christ who live for the glory of God. Who live for the glory of God. And we want to do that on purpose here. Our lives are for something bigger than our lives. And this church is a part of something bigger than this church. And our effort and our work are about something bigger than any one of us. And we want lives. We want to live Live lives like the Gospels really true. And that you really don't have to try to fool anybody. And you don't have to walk around your life with a burden on your back. You don't have to. You don't have to. And that means we can work harder than we thought we could work. And it means we can love each other more deeply than we thought we could love one another. And we can actually change from the inside out more than we thought was possible. And we can do it all in loving service of other people. And we can do it, we can do it for the glory of God. Amen. Would you all, uh, now I'm gonna pray. God, I'm so thankful in this moment. I'm so grateful in this moment. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you that your grace, that your grace doesn't pat us on the head, but it actually changes us. doesn't placate us. Thank you that your grace changes us. I pray, Spirit of God, would you change us now? Would you help us shift and be molded in such a way that we are disposed, disposed to, uh, to experience your word with humility? I ask for the person in this room that's in chains to be delivered, whether it's the chains of drugs and addiction or it's the chains of bitterness and resentment. Whatever kind of poison people have come in with this morning, would you give them the antidote? The gospel that frees them the light that shines that really can heal wounds so they don't just stay raw and open. God, would you transform us? Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you unite us in love and brotherly affection? Would you give us a mind to work? Would you give us a joyful disposition to... um, To humbly submit to your call on our lives? Would we live like our lives weren't our own? And would we live like the gospel of Jesus Christ is true all the way, all the way to the bottom? Strengthen our faith in this moment, Spirit of God. Um, Increase things like conviction, increase our healing and our growth and our maturity, I ask. In the name of Jesus, for our joy and maturity and growth, and for your glory, God, we pray. Amen.